Guys, welcome back to Sundays at 7. We are so happy to be here, and we are so glad that you could join us. We have a very, very special guest, one of my favorite people in the whole world. So please stick around, and you are awesome for listening to Sundays, Sundays at 7. Guys, we have a very special guest. Okay, and we've had this guest on the show before, but we definitely had to bring him back. We because had to bring him back. He, let me tell you what, knows the Lord and is wise and is funny and is smart and talented. Wow. <laughs> Everyone, welcome back, Mr. Tate Cooney. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Honored to be back at Sundays at 7. <laughs> that was one of the most affirming intros I think I've ever gotten. Oh, seriously, yeah. though. We had to talk. We had to talk. Gas you up. That's what Kate always says. Got to gas you up so you keep coming back. That's right. Um, Oh, or we can do four. Me, you, Tate, and Liz. We got to get Liz. We got to get Liz. She was amazing. Liz, so good. Shout out to Liz Shimwell as always. (laughs) That is a weekly shout out. (laughs) Um, but as if for those of you who don't know, Tate was actually we discussed chapter five. Of letters to the church with him. He came all the way from Marietta, Georgia. So, Tate, really quick, maybe give us a rundown of what you've been doing since you have last been here. Wow. Or maybe for the viewer, for the listeners who haven't heard your story before or what you're up to, what just give us a little 30 days. second blimp. <laughs> <laughs> well, since the last time, well, I'm from Marietta, Georgia, work at Patch City Church, uh, for those that didn't listen to the last one. Um, but since the last podcast, I've just been <laughs> doing the same old thing, I feel like. Um, we have been preparing for the new building that we're moving into soon at Pastor City Church Cumberland, which is exciting, so doing a lot of stuff with that. Um, we're about to start Cumberland Students, the middle school ministry there, which is going to be exciting. Um, so there's a lot going on in our church world. but That's awesome. What's your favorite thing about your job? Wow. Ooh. Great question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> favorite thing about my job is probably the people that I get to do it with. Um, it's a super special team, but not just the staff team, the door holders, what we, we call our volunteers door holders, but they are some of the um, most amazing group of people. And I serve with the load in load out team since we still meet in high school. And they have been showing up for two to two and a half years loading in and loading out every single Sunday and a strong majority of the team doesn't take any Sundays off and they're there loading in loaded out all the time and it's just a super encouraging and challenging team to be a part of but um, it's cool to do it alongside them do ministry alongside of them and be in the fight with them so Mm. it's been amazing that's awesome Um, well, as y'all know, last week we had Liz Shimwell on the podcast. We were talking about chapter eight of Letters to the Church titled Unleashed. What was your favorite thing about last week? Um, There's too much. There's so much, there's so much good stuff. I really loved that. What really stuck with me was something you said, Caitlin. Oh, whoa. You remember the story about the airplane that you told? Yes. That Uh, really, like. Yeah, that, that changed my life when I read that. Yeah, that was really good. I love that. And I love Liz, too. And she has so many awesome things to say. And last week just flowed so well. She just, you know. It's like natural conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liz is super great. We were so glad to have her. Um, this week we are on chapter 9 of Lord's the Church. This is the last chapter of the book. Come on. How crazy. This is episode 10. Oh, 
This is episode 10 of that the one so We're in the double digits, people. Um, anyway, so this chapter is called Church Again. And it, I feel like it kind of is just like a summary of, you know, because Francis Chan at the beginning of the book talks about his life and how he built this giant church and then he kind of moved, he segued into smaller, a smaller church-ish environment. And this is just kind of explaining that. And he has a church called We Are Church now and it kind of tells you how they meet and stuff like that. Um, but right off the bat... Always coming in hot and spicy. One of my favorite quotes, probably of this whole chapter, on page 169, on the first page of chapter 9, it says, No God, don't just serve Him. And that is so true and so convicting in my own life because I feel like a lot of times we get so stuck in the, I need to serve, I need to serve, I need to serve. But do you actually know who God is? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? And I know we talk about that a lot on this podcast. But it is so important Mm -hmm. that you are seeking after Jesus, not after, you know, anything else. I think that's how you can make this book personal, too. It's just like even that little quote right here. Because, you know, this book is a lot about, like, the church. And, of course, we are the church. But what I'm saying, you know, it's like to, to make it personal is that right there yeah you can he talks a lot about like church structure and elders and Mm -hmm. you know how to be a well-spoken preacher and like Mm -hmm. you know all that stuff and church structure and that kind of stuff but really like the the heart of what he's saying is like don't get caught up in the task but actually the heart of what you're doing right and i love on like two pages over he talks about what our true motivation is. And he says, if there are more people coming to your church, you shouldn't be motivated more. And if there are, if you have less attendance, you shouldn't be motivated less because our motivation comes from God and from God alone. And regardless of how many people are there, regardless of who is there, we are motivated because we are called to spread the gospel. And it talks about how that should be more than enough to motivate our tireless pursuit of obedience. And then it writes, there's a quote here and it's crazy. It says, if one of my pastors suddenly has a moral failure next week, God forbid, it doesn't negate the truth of everything that has been written thus far. Because truth is a person. Truth is a person. I want to get that tattooed somewhere. Although I'd never get a tattoo because I'm too scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do love that. I think, uh, like you said, not changing how you say something or what you say, depending on if there's a lot of people in the room or not a lot of people in the room. And I think... uh, the guy that I work for, Grant, is one of my favorite things about watching the way that he leads is that whether he's leading a prayer moment with five people there and talking about what the Lord has been doing in his life and what's been firing him up, or whether he's preaching on a Sunday to however many hundreds of people, he preaches and speaks with the same conviction in both places. Um, and it's just really cool to watch somebody who isn't phased. They're just consistent all the way across the board, whether they're talking to 500 people or whether they're talking to five people or talking to you one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, because when the Lord has so convicted him of what he's talking about or um, what he's been teaching him, it doesn't matter the setting. Um, it just naturally flows out of him. Uh, and it's just an overflow of his heart, the way that he speaks. Uh, so it's just cool to watch. But to your point, I think it's super crucial for us to treat church that way um being genuine 
yeah. I think is a huge thing. Right. And that's one of like my main things too, is just how it's just like having integrity. That's like a huge thing. Like how are you acting in the church building versus how are you acting out in the world? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like are you being the same person? And I love like you said, when Grant is the same, no matter who's there, no matter what's going on, if he's preaching in front of hundreds of people, or if he's just talking to five people, he's the same exact person. Right. And I think that is a very clear indication of the gospel, is when you are true no matter what. Because if you're seeking after truth, you have to be true yourself. Yep. So. I feel like this chapter in this book kind of like centered me, like reading it, like centered my, kind of like what we are talking about. And I wrote on the side, I like to Annotate. Katyn is an annotator. My English her whole book taught me. Shout out to Mr. Kerber. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Um, Kerber. But I wrote on the side. I've also read this like three times. So um, if we follow God's commands, we don't have to worry about anything else. I don't really know mm-hmm. what I meant by that, but like a couple months later, reading that, I think you know, like we get all worried about like, are we doing the right thing? Are we saying the right things? Are we? And we get all caught up in that and our in ourselves that we forget the mission. So when we go back to the word, like what he says constantly throughout this whole book, and we go back to the basics of faith, you know, and like as long as we're following that, then like everything, of course, things are going to come into your life, but like we don't have to worry about any of that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're like centered. In, yeah, in our refocusing. Faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I love on page 174, he talks about, it just talks about that exact thing. He said, <clears throat> imagine if the church purged everything until all that was left was a group of people with a bible a cup and some bread for some that sounds boring for others it sounds ideal for many around the world that's all they've ever known of church and they love it what do you think about that oof (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think that's a super challenging uh part of the book just because it makes you think about why you go to church and if that was the case would you show up every Sunday mm-hmm. if all you had was a cup of bread and prayer um, so it just makes you think about why you go and who you're going for are you going just because it's the thing to do to see people to do whatever or are you going because you want to meet with the father um, so like you were saying it just kind of centers or puts your motives in check and let's say that became the case one day we have never experienced that in america the way that people overseas do but if that became the case would you still be willing and still be uh, fired up to go to church if that's all that it was and it wasn't like a uh, worship session and a nice sermon and then mm-hmm. coffee after with your friends or whatever um all those things are great but if they were all gone would you still be devoted to going Definitely. As someone who has, what this chapter did for me is like someone who's gone to church their entire life. And like I started going to church when I was in my, the same church, I mean, when I was in my mom's stomach. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's the same church my whole entire life. And so like if I really think about like my intentions when I walk into a church service, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like just that every Sunday reminder of like, why am I here? You know what I mean? And like, then when you can get caught up in, oh, I don't like this song or, oh, this music is too loud or blah, blah, blah. All the things that we can so easily get caught up in because we're humans and we get distracted and, you know, whatever. Like if you just check your intentions, and I think that's what this book has done for me, just checking my 
mm-hmm. my intentions when I walk through the door and then in turn when I walk out of the door, you know, and into the into the world as a disciple. Yeah, mm. I love this <laughs> quote a couple pages later, 176, where he says, it must be the object of our worship that makes worshiping exciting to us. Yeah, so in a that. Yeah, so in a scenario like that where it's like all they have is bread, a cup, and prayer, what makes that gathering so amazing and so exciting is that the object of who they're worshiping, not that there was a band playing amazing music and whatever. And not to say that that's bad, again, because I come from a church where they do worship better than anybody I've ever seen. Um, And it's amazing. And I love it. But it is to say that you need to make sure that your heart is in the right place, that the object of your worship is what makes the worship incredible, not that the lead singer sounds amazing or the guitar sounds amazing or the drums or whatever it is but who you're worshiping is amazing yeah it's like all of those things are put there to offer you the opportunity to meet jesus in that moment Mm -hmm. like the worship and everything it's not like they're put there to like they're not singing a song because they want you to not like it or they want you to be miserable like they're singing these songs and they're going up on stage with this passion because they want to provide an opportunity and a moment for you to be able to like feel the presence of jesus And it's so quickly can turn into what, like, y'all are talking about. Um, so Francis Chan, when he left, was it Cornerstone? Was that his first church? Yeah. He left Cornerstone, and his family, they moved to Hong Kong, right? Or they were traveling for a mm-hmm. long time. They came back to San Francisco, and they started We Are Church. And when they started We Are Church, they started a little bit differently. And there's, like, a couple things here that they talk about. Like, this is how they kind of structure their church and how the structure matters to them. And so I just kind of wanted to read through a couple of them. And um, um, yeah, so anyways, the first one is devoted worshipers. And then there's loving families, equipped disciple makers, spirit-filled missionaries, suffering sojourners, daily Bible readings. Here, can I stop here for one second? So daily Bible readings. Did you know that their church, I thought this was crazy, reads the same. They have like... On their website, Tate and I looked at wearechurch.com today, and on their website they have the Bible reading plan that the whole entire, even though they meet in separate communities, like they don't meet over 20 people in one place. And once they reach over 20 people, they split into two different, like, you know, churches. Mm -hmm. But they're all reading the same thing in the Bible. And they're reading, it's like there's a New Testament reading, an Old Testament reading, and then every Saturday and Sunday they read a psalm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's yep. crazy that all, and he said that the, like the reason that they do that is so that they're reading the Bible together and they're learning together and it's providing them the opportunity to like, you know, talk and ask questions and about the same thing. Like, and, and people take the Bible obviously different ways. Like pe- it t- talks to everyone mm-hmm. in a different way. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. And also it just like levels the playing field in a way. Like no matter your age or where you come from or mm-hmm. like kind of what you're going through, you all can read the same Bible and relate to it together. Yeah. That's a cool idea. And it's accountability too. Mm-hmm. Like you're all, like you said, you're all reading. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so after daily Bible readings, they meet in homes. There are more than 50 one another commands that calls them to care for one another in a supernatural way. So they meet in homes, like I said, with only like 20-ish people. Um, they multiply leaders and I loved this part too, because it talks about responsibility. And so when he started it, he was training four different leaders. And once that church rose above 20 people that split and two leaders went to one and two leaders went to to another. And then those two leaders were responsible for building up new leaders to keep splitting. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the next one was elder authority. Um, everyone was being discipled. Everyone disciples. That's that's mm-hmm. significant. Definitely. Um, everyone exercises gifts, regular multiplication of churches, simple gatherings, share possessions, and assume missions. And this is a giant list of things. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good ones. I think a few that stuck out to me were multiply leaders. Um, and that's something that we've been talking about at Cumberland a lot is getting people that are intentionally looking out for other leaders to be pouring into. Um, and I think that something that Pastor City does a good job of is trying their best to identify and grow the leaders in the church for the sake of the ministry or the church not being built on one person. Mm -hmm. So if this person leaves, then the church goes down. But instead, you have a leader who has intentionally invested in people, raised up other leaders. So if they needed to go somewhere else or do something else or were called somewhere else, then there's four other leaders already ready to take their place. Um, And so I think for the health of a church, it's super important for leaders to be pouring into other leaders and multiplying them. Yeah. Um, so that was one that really stuck out to me. And also, just like going off of that, sort of, this might not relate at all, but as a, like, I, my faith grew the most probably when I became a leader. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't know, it just makes you feel ownership and like responsibility mm-hmm. and motivated to be in the word more and to pray more. And, you know, like that's when... Like, I've never, I was, I think I led my first group when I was, like, a senior in high school or something. I don't know. It was, like, second graders. <laughs> but um, it just, like, motivated me and, like, made it serious. Like, I had some, I don't know the right term, but the only thing I can think of is buy-in. Like, I just had this buy-in, and I was, mm-hmm. like, excited, and it, like, made me excited because I wanted to make sure that I was, like, you know, really knew what I was talking about in, like, the best way, you know? Right. So, I feel like when you become a leader, it really just... Like, spikes your craving to learn more, you know? Yeah. Have a, a buy-in. That's the only word I can think of. Just yeah, it's it. true, yeah. though. You know? It's definitely true. Totally. Res- the sense of responsibility, I think, is, yeah. like, what gets me excited. I don't know. I'm excited about responsibility. Mm-hmm. It gives you something to do. Something mm-hmm. to look forward to. Something to learn. Yeah. And to teach. And that's why I love when it says everyone is discipled, everyone disciples. Like, that is an expectation of their church. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets poured into, and everyone pours out. I also love elder authority, and I love at the bottom when it says, at a time when everyone bashes leadership, God calls us to show the world something different, people who love having a king and joyfully follow godly leaders. And I'll never forget the story one time when I was learning about how um, Saul was pursuing David and trying to kill him, and David had two opportunities to kill Saul, but instead he had a holy fear for the people that the Lord put in charge. And so he didn't kill him. And I thought that was so crazy. And, like, even though it is hard sometimes and, like, maybe, like, things are going a different direction than, like, I think they should, like, I need to have a holy fear for the people that God puts in charge because everyone is put in charge for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really have to continue to tell myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. I really like, not necessarily the heading, but what's in it. Um, the regular multiplication of churches and I really like the last line. I don't know. It's really interesting. Without deadlines, not much gets done. The dog is snoring or something. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Wow, she is snoozing over there. Put her to sleep. Um, 
but just this idea of like, I guess our deadline as Christians is like the end of time, which is the greatest deadline of all deadlines. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like knowing that, I don't know, it's like motivating to think about it like that. And it says something about in that same thing about comfort. We naturally run toward comfort. I think when you know that deadline, it, it makes you want to get out of that comfortable place. And I've, I heard one time something like, this is not right, but the worst place you can be in is in like a comfortable space. Mm-hmm. Like if you're comfortable and get out, you know, being uncom, running towards, um, something that's not comfortable is countercultural and that's why we should be. So definitely. Yeah. And I love how it talks about in that same paragraph, how it's good to have a healthy pressure towards developing leaders. Yeah. Like, yeah. a lot of times we think of pressure as, like, anxious or, like, oh, we're under all this pressure, blah, blah, blah. But there is such a thing as a healthy pressure mm-hmm. that motivates you and mm-hmm. convicts you in a good way. Right. Oh, man. I also love how when it very en- like when it ends with all of those, like, expectations of their churches, um, a lot of people can read this, I think, and take that as, like, oh, this is how we need to structure our church now because this is working for them. And he says here in the last paragraph, he was like, I don't think that we have found the solution, but we have found a solution and that solution works for them. And he said, I'm not trying to push the model we've been running with, but I do think we'd benefit from an innovative thinking where we jump back to the essentials, forget about what we've always done and ask what expressions of the church God wants to see in our setting. I think a lot of times we can get really stuck into the, oh, well, you know, back in the good old days or, you know, this worked back then or like this is what we've always done. So we're going to keep doing it. But like I'll like say over and over again, like our mission is never going to change. But because of the culture and the way that like we are now, our methods will change. Mm -hmm. But like we're still pursuing Jesus and we're still continuing to share the gospel because that's what our mission is. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he does a really good job uh, towards the end of the book because there's a lot of questions that I had reading the book or some of these chapters and different things. And what he says at the end is that he's not trying to get everybody to copy exactly what they're doing. He's saying there's a lot of needs in the church and what he thinks are the most important. And then here's how they execute those and try to see them in the church. But he's not trying to get people to copy exactly what they're doing. And the call of the book is not to have a bunch of copycat churches of what they are doing but he says basically his call to the people reading the book is that they need to care about his church enough to fast and pray you must believe Mm -hmm. that you play a necessary role in the church and seek wisdom and direction from god so when we're structuring our churches it's not that they have to look just like this but we do need to take the time to at least pray and to fast and question what we have done before maybe what we have been doing has been good or some things are good some things are bad but it's more look at your church structure and be willing to be wrong um not just copying it but just be willing to change things uh challenge the status quo um so i like that he says that at the end of the book that it's not like hey everybody needs to do church like us it's it's it might not look the same but you need to at least take enough time to consider and pray through what God might want for your church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's cool that he's not asking everybody to, he's not saying this is the right thing to do. Right. Uh, this is the right way to execute church. Um, but he's just calling people into um, navigating and figuring out and praying through what God wants for the church. Yeah. Also like a state of surrender to like as individuals in a church, but also as a church, like surrendering to, 
Oh no, he says here, my goal is to get you dreaming, to keep you from settling, to affirm that nagging sense that you can't shake that God wants something more for his church than what you're experiencing. You know, and like, I don't know, I think we've said, we've said this a million times throughout all of these, but you know, like I just can sense that we're all longing for something more, like as a church, as in, as believers all around the world, like we're all longing for something more. And I think this book kind of just, I don't know, like I said before, centers our faith and gets us back to the to the basics and like, yeah, you know, and it's just good. Definitely. <laughs> right. Definitely. I just love like, one thing I do love about the way he structures our churches is like their open communication about everything. Like I love how like, although like it's different, obviously like pay, paid. <laughs> Tate is involved in Passion City Church, which like a lot of people know is like a very big church and down in Georgia. But like what I love about the way he structures like his We Are Church is just how small and how intimate it is and how simple it is and how it says here like it allows them to be accountable for one another to pray for one another by name and to live like a family during the week and I think that's like a lot of times like myself included will go to church and then like I won't see a bunch of those people during the week and it's like you know it's like what like or I don't know just like weird stuff like that but like there is a different side to it as well and like I don't think that like this method is for everyone you know because like I said Tate works at Passion which is a big church and they're doing things differently, but they're still spreading the gospel, and they're still striving to love Jesus. Yeah, I want to read this paragraph really quick, because it's kind of on the same topic, but he says, he has this thing that he calls church B&B in, the, in this chapter, and is just referencing it, because the way that they do church is kind of like that. It, it allows for a lot of spaces to become churches whether it's homes or whatever it's whether kind of you, if you idea. don't know what bnb is it's like airbnb yeah, i don't yeah. know if you've heard of that but it's just making a play on words for that. right so anyway he says maybe you should do church bnb maybe you shouldn't i can't answer that for you my hope is simply to convince you that there are compelling ways of living as the church that look nothing like our traditional models my goal is to get you dreaming to keep you from settling to affirm the nagging sense you can't shake that God wants something more for his church than what you're experiencing. Um, and I love that paragraph because it just goes back to his point of the book is not to have everybody do church like they do church, but it is to call people into the feeling of never feeling like you've arrived. And that's something that, mm-hmm. that Caitlin talked about a lot earlier today that we never want to get to a place where we feel like we figured it out. But you always want to have that sense of nagging that you can't shake that God wants something more for his church and uh, looking for whatever that is and praying through whatever he might have for you. And it's just this, our tendency is to have a posture of being defensive when somebody kind of challenges us. Um, But I think it's a good exercise to set our pride down and say, maybe they do challenge you and your response isn't immediately defensive, but it's saying, And it's not even that you have to agree to the person with the person that's challenging you, but having a willingness to listen and kind of at least pray through what they're saying. And maybe you still end up doing what you were doing before, but at least you sought the Lord on it instead of just immediately becoming defensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I love right here, it talks about like, 
like in that same sense, like we, I feel like a lot of us ask ourselves like, okay, well, is this going to work? Is all this going to work? Like, are people going to come? Are they going to enjoy it? Like all this stuff. But it talks about in second Timothy, it said, Paul actually told Timothy that teaching sound doctrine will not work in quotations. In fact, it will drive people away. Yet he was commanded to preach truth because it's what God wants. And I love this next part right here. It says, remember, it's not about what I would like, what others would like, or what works. Church is for him. Church is for Jesus. Church is for the one that, you know, created us. It's not about, like, Tommy, my husband, who is currently in the room. Shout out to Tommy. Woo! Shout out Tommy. <laughs> he just gave us peace sign. Um... <laughs> He said, you know, it wasn't like Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and said, hey, how can I um, better suit you? How can I make things better for you? He's like, hey, Peter, like, how can I make this situation better for you? Like, no, he didn't say that at all. He looked at people and said, hey, if, if you're not going to, you know, deny yourself, then you are not even worthy enough to follow me. Like, just go. Mm. And I think that is so so strong and so convicting to me. Totally. Yeah. I also love this verse in Hebrews 2 where it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, pers and preserve their souls. Hebrews 10, 37 through 39. Mm -hmm. That is a call for us to live by faith. And he tells us, like he affirms us right there, that we are not of the ones who shrink back. We are not of the ones who are like, hey, how can I make this better for you? How can I make this better for you? We are the ones who are saying like, hey, this is what the Lord calls us to do and we're going to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then right after that verse, he says, Jesus is coming. Oof. I meet very Hallelujah. few people in America who live as if they believe this. And do I live as if I believe that? Yep. Yeah, it you makes know? yeah, it makes us all question that for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, there's a this is kind of a different direction, but let's go for it. Let's go for it. Um, he has a whole because a lot of times he was saying that people would kind of question the way that they do church and does it work? Will it work? Whatever. And he just kind of has this whole paragraph about uh, the things that are happening in San Francisco as a result of the church, which is amazing. And the whole paragraph was super convicting to me because he's just talking about families that are opening up their homes to others, giving away their cars, homeless addicts are becoming faithful pastors, uh, accomplished professionals are becoming best friends with ex-cons, uh, people are coming with prayer requests for people that they've shared the gospel with that week, and etc, 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 all these things that are happening in San Francisco, and I think the tendency, and what was so challenging to me is that you read those and you're like, man, that's amazing. Love that that's happening. But then I think to myself, if like, would I be willing to be one of the people walking alongside a homeless addict to watch them become a faithful pastor? Mm. Or would I be somebody that would be willing to become best friends with an ex-con? Or am I the one coming with prayer requests about people that I've shared the gospel with that week? And so it's really easy to sit and... Uh, hear the amazing stories about what God's doing through people, but it's a lot harder to actually be one of the people that he's using to do those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And so it was just super challenging to me to read those and be like, man, that's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing, and then think to my life. And unfortunately, I think oftentimes I would see a homeless addict and write them off and be like, oh, they're hopeless or whatever. And it, it 
kind of sucks to admit that, but I think that's the tendency. And so it's just challenging to start viewing people with uh, a lens of they can be redeemed. Anybody mm-hmm. can be redeemed. And it, it tests your faith because you have to start believing that God can redeem anybody and God can reconcile anybody. Mm-hmm. So love that paragraph. And I think a lot of those things that you were just saying, like, you know, walking this alongside a homeless addict or like all these things that you just said, I feel like we like as Christians think that that requires this big, like extravagant, I don't know, like plan or something. I don't know. We just, we get, it's like daunting for us or something. Like we get intimidated by it. And like, you know, for me, I feel the same way as you a lot of the time. And like, it's just as simple as just like getting up and doing it. Like you're doing the action doesn't require you to be all poetic or have all the right things to say or like be, you know what I mean? It's like, we just put so much pressure on ourselves to like, you know, save people. And we can't do that. You know, we can just be, you know, vessels for the word. And like, when you think about it like that, you know, and it's kind of what he's saying throughout the whole thing. And in that paragraph that you just talked about, he says, they enjoy him, capital H. Like they, they enjoy God. And, like, how many times do I walk in my church doors where I'm, like, enjoying not only the service but God mm-hmm. while I'm there? Like, genuinely enjoying it, mm-hmm. you know, and not just going through the motions or thinking about something else or thinking about who's across the church and in the pew or, you know. Like, I'm actually enjoying God. Right. You know. <clears throat> my main takeaway from this chapter is uh, he ends the chapter on a huge, uh, like, call And just says, don't blindly follow the things I've written. Study the scriptures. Get alone with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Seek Him with all your heart. Surrender everything to Him. And it says, there cannot be anything that you hold with a clenched fist. Not even family. He is worth it. And a long time ago, when um, Tommy and I were dating, he said, you know, when you think of anxiety and you think of like worry and you think of that, like pressure you feel he was like it's probably because you're holding a clenched fist onto something that god needs you to open your hands like Mm -hmm. he needs like access to that and you're holding it so close to you with your like in your clenched fist that like you're not allowing him access to that you're holding on to it and so he said you always have to live your life with an open hand concept that like you know what god like whatever is mine is yours you know like my family is yours my relationships are yours my finances are yours everything is yours like i am living my hands open because you have control and that's like my main main takeaway because it reminds me of what liz said last week and she said god is in control and so why not live as we believe it mm-hmm. you know god she said you can only can control so much and so if god is the controller of all then why don't we step out in faith like we are called to do boom has me hype. Come on. I am hype. <laughs> Are we going around saying our main takeaway? Yeah, go for it. What's your main takeaway? Okay. Right now in this moment, <laughs> I have a takeaway. Big time. Let's do it. And it, I don't really even know if it relates to this chapter or this book, but this is what it I'm does. feeling right now. <laughs> I already know it does. In this moment. Love it. And it is, when I go to church and when I walk in the door, like, what am I thinking about when I'm there? Mm. You know what I mean? Like. And I know this is true, but, like, I love this word, as we've said before. I think it was the last time you were on here. Um, but being expectant. And, like, when you're expectant that the Lord will move, like, He always does. And then I heard this quote one time. Quote that queen. said, quote um, the Lord is present when we are. Mm. 
which of course the Lord is always present, but a lot of most, a lot, most of the time we aren't, you know, but the Lord is present when we are, when we are present. And, um, like when I go to church or when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, like hopefully my life is a living ministry, you know, but like, what are my intentions and what am I thinking about? Like when I walk through the doors, am I like bored or over it or just, you know what I mean? Like just mm -hmm. rechecking my mindset when I walk in the door and being expecting that he's going to move even when I don't feel like it, mm -hmm. you know, because he always will always. So yeah, that's mine. I don't really know if that relates to anything, but no, oh, for <laughs> sure. Well, it kind of takes yeah, me back to awesome. like, it talks about like, if you're seeking God, you can seek him through diligent prayer. Like you mm -hmm. can't even, you can't even discover what he wants for you without diligently praying for it. And it reminds me of what Tate said last time he was here when he said, have, have you ever actually sat in your service and have started praying while you're in service? And I'm like, I've tried to like, you know, do that. Like while we're in service, like you don't just like, you know, pray at scheduled times. Mm -hmm. Like while the preacher's up on stage, like say a prayer for the preacher that the Holy Spirit will speak through him. Mm -hmm. Or like while people are up there worshiping, like say a prayer that the Holy Spirit will come. Like invite the Holy Spirit into the presence yes, like no matter uh, when. It all just became such a routine. Yes. You know what I mean? Let's get out of that routine. We're like serving the God of the universe and it's just a routine and a ritual and the same thing. We're like, here we go again. Are you, you know? kidding me? Like Hello. why am I living like that, people? Oh, <laughs> I just got a wave of energy. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> mom, Shanda, shout out to Shanda. She's a faithful listener of the podcast. <laughs> One time, a, break, a major breakthrough in my life was when she said that we catch ourselves up in these circles. We are always caught in these circles, these routines that we jump into and we're just spinning around and around and around. And she says, you have to break yourself out of that circle. Break the cycle. Break that cycle because you'll continue to go around forever mm -hmm. if you don't. And you're just going to be stuck doing the same exact thing. And once you find out that you have the power and the Holy Spirit inside of you to break out of that circle, mm, unstoppable. Mm. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I'm so hype right now. Okay. Somebody call the hype police. <laughs> wow. Anyways, what's your main takeaway, Tate? Yeah, I got sidetracked. Back to main takeaways. Um... I'm kind of with Kaden. I don't know if this is going to relate it's to much of what we're talking about. Well, but the Holy we'll Spirit it. is here. We're two more This is what gathered. I was thinking about when I read this chapter earlier. Um, this part at the end is talking about his final thoughts. And he says, we kind of covered this, but we'll go back to it. Mm -hmm. He says, you're going to see God soon. There's no way I can exaggerate how overwhelmed you'll be. The most tragic mistake you can make on this earth is to underestimate how vulnerable you'll feel when you see his face. And the wisest decisions you will make in life will be the ones you make with that final moment in mind. Mm -hmm. And that paragraph just takes me back to um, living life with an eternity mindset. And uh, there's a pastor named Matt Chandler out in Texas, and he wrote a book called Explicit Gospel. He's amazing. But he talks about two things, the gospel in the air and the gospel on the ground. And it's not that we live with one or the other, but we live with both. And the gospel in the air is thinking of God's overarching redemption plan, the hope of eternity that's been set before us. And the gospel on the ground is the day-to-day -day broken world that we're living in, trying to bring people to Christ, um, trying to win people to Him, and doing the dirty work of talking with the homeless addict and trying to be a part of His redemption story. And all these different things. Um, and I just love 
the dichotomy of those two things that we are called to live with both of them with an eternal mindset yes but we don't want to get too caught up in all we think about is eternity and nothing here matters because then we just become stagnant um but we also don't want to live too much in the weeds of what's happening down here because we know that we have a hope and a joy set before us in mm -hmm. eternity and so it's just trying to live and reconcile with both of those things um, and both are so important and we can endure the sufferings that we're struggling with down here and while we're in the weeds with people because we and just like it says about Jesus that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him we can endure the suffering and the pain and the hard conversations and the hard relationships because of the joy that's set before us in eternity um, but we like I said we just don't want to get so stagnant thinking about what is to come, what is to come, what is to come, that we forget about the people that we're doing life with here. So, mm -hmm. um, like I said, I don't know if that had much to do with anything. Okay. However, mm -hmm. it did uh, it did teach me something as I was reading that part of the chapter. So, that's my, that's my main takeaway. Y'all, Jesus is coming soon. Sure oh, is. Jesus is coming. We gotta live like it. Yes, uh, we're right. bold. Me too. I'm talking to myself. Caitlin, live bold. <laughs> Goodness gracious. And the last thing I'll say that I meant to say earlier is with uh, looking to eternity, you want to be placing and, like he said, doing the things that matter for eternity because those are the only things that are going to count. So just another part that was convicting to me is thinking about the things that I spend my time and my days doing. Are they things that are going to last and matter? Mm. Yes, uh, prioritizing, Ooh. being obedient. That is my final takeaway. Being away. expectant. That was good. Man, 40 minutes. What's our time at? Flown by so fast. Four, we've been talking for 41 minutes. Holy moly. It always gets this way. I'm not sure how this one's going to go, but we made it 40 minutes. <laughs> 40 minutes? That's strong. That is strong. Tay, thank you so much for being on our podcast thank again. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me again. It has on been the second time. The a best. Honor. It has been the best. Kate is Won't so fun. Listen. Y'all are the best for doing this every week. It's the Lord. The Lord <laughs> called us into this mission. We have chosen to accept it. Well, guys, uh, here's where we end. And we are so sad. But don't worry, because we're going to be back next week. I wish this were filmed so bad. <laughs> People really miss out that it's if not you, on video. Yeah, you could see Caitlin's actions. It would add a whole new dynamic to the podcast. It's just really sad that this is not, I don't know, YouTube. I don't know what you <laughs> Maybe do. one day. Maybe one day we will. Oh, my gosh. Maybe we'll work our way up there. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We are so glad that you could be here. Thank you, Tate. Um, catch us next week on Sundays, Sundays at 7. 7. Bye, guys.